0: You might have noticed this morning that we've um, lit a different color candle on our Advent wreath. It's the the pink candle. Um, It's supposed to remind us of peace. It's the candle of peace, right? We've we've read that in our Advent devotions, perhaps. Um, And interestingly enough, it would seem the readings this morning reflect that. In Philippians, we read about the peace of God, right, that passes all understanding. Or in the psalm this morning, we read about uh, God speaking peace into our lives. And then we read in the gospel, and we hear John the Baptist, and he's calling out to us, Repent! And you're like, that's not peaceful. Did John miss the message? The lectionary is calling for peace, and here's John calling for repentance and judgment. Seems to contradict this message of peace with a gospel of judgment and division. And that's where we're going to stay this morning. I know you all want to talk about peace, and perhaps we'll come back to it, but right now we're going to live in this gospel that's talking about repentance and judgment. Once again on John the Baptist. Uh, why don't you turn with me in your Bible, so it would probably be helpful this morning. We're in Luke chapter 3. We're going to actually um, back the train up a little bit, I think, from what y'all read um, and overlap with last week's reading just a little bit. Um, and, and examine this morning really John's message. If last week we talked more about um, how John was, was, was the promised messenger from the Old Testament, we're going to focus this morning more on what this message was. And when we do that, we realize that John basically has two things to say. Two things. Repentance is necessary and judgment is coming. And when you're looking at what John has to say, it falls in one of those two categories. Repentance is necessary and judgment is coming. And once we look at those, then we'll take a a peek there at the end of this sermon on what does a response to that look like? How do folks respond to this message? So the first thing that John wants to say to us is that repentance is necessary. Now, there's multiple layers to this. Um, And the first thing, actually, um, about repentance uh, is that John is calling us to repent from religion. Now, that seems an interesting thing to say. Repent from religion. Isn't that why we're here? Well, it might be. Um, But John is calling us to repent from religion. Now, just to be clear, there is, um, in the Bible, it speaks of a true religion. But true religion is not the same thing as religion that we often make for ourselves. True religion is is graceful and self-sacrificial, but but too often we practice a man-made religion that is um, rule-centered and self-righteous and seeks to manipulate God. And John says that sort of religion needs Repentance. So let's look at verses 7 and the first part of verse 8 there, Luke chapter 3. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So John's out in the wilderness, right? I mean, he is in the middle of nowhere. And it's not like he's this really sort of attractive, dynamic guy. He's wearing camel hair. He's eating locust and honey. He probably doesn't smell great. And people are flocking to him. They're coming. They cannot stay away from him. They want to hear what he has to say. They want to hear a prophet like those of old. They want to hear about God. These people coming to him, these were religious people. They knew their scriptures. They knew and they were hoping for a Messiah. They were religious people. And they dropped everything they were doing. They stopped everything to come out and to hear John preach and to get baptized in the Jordan River. And when they got there, John didn't say, hey, thanks for coming. He says, what are you doing here, you brood of vipers? Who warned you? This is not a seeker-sensitive service John is holding out of the Jordan River. These are religious people, but their religion is actually inhibiting their relationship with God. It becomes centered on following the rules and checking the boxes about earning favor with God, pleasing God with their actions. And how many of them must have been thinking, hey, you know what I'll do today? I'll go out to the Jordan River and I'll see John the Baptist and I'll get in good with the big guy because I've made this extra trip. It's a manipulative religion. They're trying to manipulate God. Okay, God, I've done X, Y, and Z. What do you got for me? Are we not, as Christians, guilty of this on some level? Perhaps a major one. I would say there's this type of religion resides in all of our hearts. Um, we place too much stock, perhaps, in our tradition, or maybe there's these extra biblical, unspoken Christian rules that we're supposed to follow that, that earn us favor with God and especially with other Christians? Are we not sometimes feeling like we're required to do the right thing or say the right thing or or vote the right way? Are these not sometimes things we're supposed to do to, to check the boxes to be in good favor with God? On some level, our repentance must be a repentance from our self-righteous, rule-centered religion. We must repent from our attempts to please and manipulate God by doing the right thing. John's calling for repentance from religion. That's a hard thing to hear. Second thing, perhaps equally as hard, God's calling for a personal repentance Let's look on to verse 8. We're going to realize that, that we can't depend on our heritage or our ethnicity um, to be in good favor with God. So beginning of verse 8, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And then John goes on to say, And do not even begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. The Jewish people, many of them, had this sort of entitlement. They're they're God's chosen people, right? They're they're children of Abraham. We're in. Other people are out. Now, the people who are out can get in if they become Jewish, if they become children of Abraham. But but, but we're in because we're Abraham's children. There's this expectation that because they were God's chosen people, because they were um, Jewish, that they were in. But it's interesting to ask the question, do y'all remember Abraham from chapter 12 of Genesis, well, in 12 and following, that, that, that God called him to be the father of a great nation? That God gave him these promises? Was this Abraham, was he, was he a Jew or was he a Gentile? He was a Gentile. Abraham wasn't Jewish. Abraham was a pagan. And yet, somehow, he saw God and he trusted in God and he had faith in God. And Genesis says God counted it to him as righteousness. He counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham had faith in the God of the universe. It wasn't because of anything he did or, 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 or doing, you know, having the, the right actions or worshiping God the right way. It was because he had faith. He did not find favor with God due to his family status or his position in society, but through repentance and grace. And what John is saying to the folks who are coming out to the Jordan River, he's saying, look, your status as children of Abraham, that's great and all, but, but, but that doesn't make you right with God. God can raise up children for Abraham from these very stones on the banks of the Jordan River. No, God Needs repentance. You need mercy. To be honest, God does not care if we grew up in church. He does not care if we served as an acolyte or on the altar guild. He does not care if our family is buried in the graveyard. He cares if we have personally encountered the love and mercy of Jesus Christ. If we had received that in repentance, turning from wicked and evil ways because of God's grace and following Him by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is a personal repentance that John is calling these people to, that He's calling us to. Um, third thing about repentance here is it's life changing. It's life changing. Read on, starting at verse 10. The crowds asked him, okay, they've been convicted. They're saying, okay, we need to repent. What are we going to do? What shall we do? And John answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share them with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Um, Tax collectors also came to be baptized. And they said to John, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. And soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. Do You see, first of all, how personal this is. Different people ask him, what should we do? And, and I, I believe John is attacking the very things they might hold most dearly in life. You know, it's kind of nice to have two tunics when it's cold outside in case one gets cold. Tattered or broken, right? It's kind of nice as a tax collector to be able to skim a little bit off the top or as a soldier to be able to take advantage of your position, even if it might mean intimidating somebody. And what what John is saying is no. Your personal repentance is life-changing. It's gracious and loving, and it it cares. It looks out for others. It's being content where God has placed you in living in service of Him. It is a life-changing repentance. True religion and true repentance are evident. Um, You know, in the Anglican prayer book, we call this a true and lively faith. It's a lively faith. It's a faith that has action and is exciting and can be seen by others. Now, what John John isn't saying, look, you need to give your tunic away if you want to be in God's favor, or you need to, to change your ways, tax collector, if you're going to be in God's favor, or soldier, you need to live peacefully with the citizens if you're going to be in God's favor. No, that's not the message. The message is because God has shown you favor, and because you have repented of your ways, then your faith will be evidenced in your life. Bear fruit that is evidence of repentance. And the thing is, we don't always bear that fruit because we're not actually very good at repenting. We're not very good at it. Even those of us who might repent every day, on some level, we don't always do a very good job of it. Some wrong ways that we often repent. Well, I would say too often we repent and then we continue on the same as we were before we repented. And sometimes the reason for that is we're not sorry for what we did. We're sorry we got caught. Y'all ever experienced that? We're sorry we got caught. And when we realize actually that God has caught us doing something, which by the way is every time. <laughs> I feel like sometimes we're just, we're just sorry that we're in trouble. And so we repent, but that doesn't last, right? You know what I'm talking about. It doesn't last. It's not a true, heartfelt repentance. Or perhaps this too often, we like to talk about other people's repentance. That's fun, right? Some of you have probably elbowed your spouse already in this sermon. Hey, are you listening? Some of us are thinking, you know what? John's right. If this world, if the, the people outside the doors of this building, if they would repent, this would be a better place. If other people would get their lives together, we'd be doing all right. That's not true repentance. Or there's the general repentance, you know, the public figure who, again, he gets caught or she gets caught. I'm sorry if I did anything wrong, Right? I'm sorry if I offended you. God, you know, maybe this is you. God, I'm sorry if I sinned this week. No, I don't know what it was, or I'm not going to tell you about it, but if I did it, I'm sorry. And perhaps the one we're most good at is conditional repentance. I'm sorry, but. You know, as parents um, and grandparents too, we, we might apologize this way to our children or grandchildren, if they've misbehaved, you know, I'm sorry I fussed at you. I, I overreacted, but you were being really bad. <laughs> right? It's conditional. I'm sorry, except for the fact that you, you provoked it. And do we not come to God sometimes like that? Maybe we don't, we don't speak it, but we think it. You know, God, I'm sorry I did that, but, but you put me in a really tough spot. I'm sorry I said that about the other person, but, but, but God, I felt like I was being attacked. It's conditional. I'm sorry, but. And these aren't true repentance. This isn't true repentance. And we're going to see why that's a problem in a second. Um, but, but the first point that we need to realize when we're talking about John the Baptist is, is repentance is necessary. True, heartfelt, personal repentance is essential for all of us. Then the second thing that John wants and likes to talk about is judgment. Repentance is necessary because judgment is coming. Let's look at verses 15 to 17. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, whether he might be the Messiah, whether he might be the Savior, John answered them all. And he said, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. So when John talks about judgment, the first thing he talks about is the one coming to judge is greater. He's greater than John. Now, Jesus says of John, he says, John the Baptist was greater than anyone who'd ever lived. So we've got John. So if we're down here, John's way up here. And then John says, the one who's coming, Jesus, I'm not worthy even to untie his dirty, filthy sandals. I'm not worthy even to be his most menial slave. That's how much greater he is than I am. The one who is coming after John is far greater. His baptism is far greater as well. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John's was a baptism of repentance, a symbolic external baptism. You you wash with water as a symbol of your repentance, but the one who is coming will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He will baptize your heart. He will change your stone-cold, broken heart into a lively heart of flesh. The Spirit will write the love of God on our hearts. The fire of God will purify us and restore us. He's baptizing with the Spirit and with fire. It's a greater baptism. And then finally, and what John really is the point he's getting to, is this one who is greater with a greater baptism is coming with a greater judgment. Verse 17. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Do you know that image of the winnowing fort and the wheat and the chaff? Um, I mean, I've not seen it, I've just read about it. But, but if you're a farmer, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but, but, but the winnowing fork is, is you would lift up the grain and you would sort of throw it up and shake it out, right? And the, the grain that was good to be used in the bread would, would, would fall to the floor and the chaff, the dust particles would get um, rise up into the wind and get blown away. Blown away. And the judge is coming. It will separate the wheat and the chaff And the chaff will get blown away and and Scripture says into unquenchable fire. Now I cannot presume that all we have in this church building this morning are tares of wheat. Because there's a mix even in the church. That's what this passage is saying. These things are together and the judge will come and he will sort them out. And there are plenty of people who come to church week in and week out, and they say their prayers, they might even read their Bibles, and they probably have really wonderful lives full of good works, and that's all really wonderful. But when the wind blows, it's revealed that they are chaff, that their repentance has not been heartfelt, that they haven't actually met the love and the grace of Jesus. When the wind blows, when the suffering comes, If you do not know the grace of God, you will get blown away. When persecution comes, when times are hard, when it is hard work to follow Jesus, that's when the judgment really shows up. That's when you separate the wheat and the chaff. And even then on the last day, the final judgment will come. This is serious and stuff. And this is why, this is why John is so serious about repentance because he knows the consequences. If we don't repent, judgment is coming. And finally, he gives the scripture gives us an example of someone who encountered this judgment. There in verse 19. Herod, king, king of the Jewish people, right? That doesn't mean he was loved by all the Jewish people, but, but he was the king appointed by Rome. And Herod, you see, had... Um, had fallen for his brother's wife, Herodias. And she had fallen for him. And and so on one hand, this is really bad because it's basically incestuous. And on another hand, um, they both got divorced so they could um, live in this illicit relationship. And he's the king. And so he's supposed to be an exemplar for the people. And John, John was not afraid of Herod. And so John called him out. Just like he's calling the people of the Jordan River to repent, he's sending his message to Herod, you too, Herod, you need to repent. And this is why, very specifically, very public. And so just like the people at the river, Herod hears this call for repentance. And what does he do? Does he run out to the Jordan and get baptized? Does he stop this relationship? No. He has John arrested and thrown in prison. In fact, you read later on that, that, that Herodias was so upset with John, she was so angry at him, her heart was so stone cold that she was seeking revenge on him for years and years and years. And finally, she demanded by Herod that John's head be delivered to her on a platter. And that's what happened to John. That's what happened to John. Here's this man given this opportunity to repent. And he goes the exact opposite way. And I think at our most base level, maybe it's not as extreme as Herod, but our most base level, if we're honest, when we hear that we need to repent, that our lives need to change, that what we're doing is not okay in God's eyes, at our base level, we want to say, well, forget that. You know, you can't say that. Who are you? Don't judge me. And We walk the other way. That's what we want to do without the grace of God. that We are just like Herod without God's grace. But by the grace of God, we actually can repent. And when we know that grace and we know that mercy, here's the amazing thing. This is actually a very peaceful gospel. What does it say there in verse 18? With many other exhortations, John preached what? Good news. This is good news. There's a hymn that we we were singing in the church building on the processional out, and it's a hymn about John the Baptist, and it's talking about John the Baptist's message. And you know what the the hymn writer uses to describe John the Baptist's message, what words he uses? He says that, that this was a message of good tidings. Good news. Repent, that's good news. Judgment is coming, that's good news. Because the king who's coming to judge is the same king who died on a cross that we might receive God. That Jesus the king is also Jesus the savior, Jesus the suffering servant who took our hard, stone-cold hearts, who took our unwillingness to repent, who took our unwillingness to follow God and had them nailed in his body to the cross that we might have life. He was raised from the dead that we might know the grace of God and be able to repent. And so the question for us this morning is, will we hear this good news? Do we long to have peace with God and peace with each other? Do we long to know the graceful judgment of Jesus? Do we long to fall onto the floor, the threshing floor, as wheat in the kingdom of God? Because that's the invitation. That's the invitation of Advent. As we prepare to remember the birth of Jesus, we're also preparing for him to return. And this season of Advent is a grand invitation to repent. That's good news that we even have that opportunity to repent and to come back to God and to know the grace and love and forgiveness of Jesus. Let us pray.